Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Youth Thought Sports Podcast. I am your host, Wyatt, with somebody we have never heard before, my good friend Alejandro. I consider him to be my football guy. We talk a lot. I think I have more text conversations with Alejandro than I do Jared or anybody else about football. What's going on, Alejandro? Nothing much, Wyatt. Thanks for having me on. I've of listened to you guys for a really long time. Um, you know, since the beginning. So it's been a Instagram follower and a commenter, so I look forward to contributing somewhat. <laughs> right. My little uh my little uh, biases and opinions and whatnot. So I'm looking forward to it. You're not hard to find because I always find you underneath all of my Instagram posts that we put on our at you thought sport. Which by the way, if you like any of our Instagram posts, go ahead and follow us at you thought sport and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Anything less than a five star review is not accepted but we do appreciate some thought in that. But today, Alejandro and I are actually going to talk about some of the head coach openings that are going on around the league. There's been a series of firings and retirements. So far, eight teams have vacated one or more position in their front office. Houston, New York, the New York Giants, Las Vegas, Denver, Minnesota, Jacksonville, Chicago, and surprisingly, Miami are all looking to move their franchise in a different direction. So Alejandro and I are going to break down some of the best directions that these teams can take. And then we're going to start with Alejandro's favorite team, a Houston Texans fan for no reason whatsoever. He loves the Houston Texans. Um, Their former head coach was David Coley. We'll start there. What do you think went wrong, Alejandro, in Houston? So before we get started, I'm not a Houston Texans fan for no reason. I, uh, I got into playing football myself my freshman year, and Arian Foster was an undrafted free agent in 2011. He led the league in rushing and in touchdowns that year. And he was a poet, and that's exactly the position that I played and what I wanted to do. So that's why I started becoming a Houston Texans fan, started keeping up with the team. You know, then J.J. Watt started joining, started keeping up with the draft when uh, D-Hop was drafted in 2013. So not for no reason. But in terms of uh, what went wrong, I don't think that there was any one particular thing that went wrong. I think that the Houston Texans in general are just kind of a dumpster fire at the moment. Um which is becoming much more contained. We're not like a dumpster fire. We're more like a trash can fire. If that makes sense. <laughs> Small <laughs> downgrade. So exactly. So David Coley, I think was always going to be a scapegoat. I think that he was never meant to be the long-term solution. However, with that being said, I do think that he did well for what he was given. <clears throat> um, I mean, most power rankings at the beginning of the seasons had us dead last. I would say it was almost a general consensus. I think that our roster might quite well be the worst roster in the whole NFL. So with what he was given, he was able to do well. I think that he worked the morale well, if that makes sense. Um, I think that uh, he was a, a uh, you know a player's coach type deal. Um, he was able to get the most out of what he was given. But again, um, he was a first-time head coach, has been coaching in the NFL since the 19, early 1990s, uh, has never even been mentioned as a potential head coach. I think that what ended up happening was that during last year's cycle, he uh, was one of the last choices, and we were we swung and missed on all the top candidates last year, and you know that's when right around when the Deshaun Watson drama started happening, and he wanted Eric Bieniemy, and X Y Z. So I think that we just kind of hired him on as a last ditch effort to just kind of have somebody fill that role for this last year, and I think he did well. I I as a fan have no resentment towards him. I wish nothing, him nothing but the best. I wouldn't even mind if he stuck around with the team and, um, you know, became sort of a player development uh, type guy, which is a position he's filled before. So that's kind of where my head's at in terms of what went wrong. I think that what went wrong for David Coley was that there were, the pool of candidates that's available was too good for mm-hmm. him to stick around another year. We couldn't afford to keep him and not be out there trying to upgrade. Um, so again, he, he wasn't necessarily, um, a bad coach. We, we won't know. I think that there's like tiers to coaching. I think that there's like obviously bad coaches. Then there's like mediocre coaches, which are coaches that can get you, you know, maybe into the playoffs, uh, you know, around 500 type records. Um, and then the, the top tier coaches are the ones that win the 50, 50 games that you end up being in. And we don't know if David Coley's that type of guy because we weren't in very many, uh, you know, high stakes games, you know, or trying to vie for the playoff spot, the last mm-hmm. playoff spot or whatnot. So that's kind of what I think. I don't know if you have any anything to add to that, but that's that's where my head's at. Yeah, well, I, I definitely agree when 
David Coley got hired and going into the season, I thought that they were the Houston Texans were in a really bad position. And if anyone has listened to the podcast over the the last like year and a half or so, I am like the biggest Bill O'Brien doubter. And I thought that he really put this franchise in a bad position. And of course, the DeAndre Hopkins trade was like the icing on the cake for that idea that they that he's completely decimated this. So David Coley going into this had pretty much no shot of winning you know, six, seven, eight games during the year. I think even the fact that they won four games this year is a pretty impressive feat for a guy like that. And also with David Coley, as far as his resume goes, he was the wide receiver coach in Kansas City, the one year where they had zero wide receiving touchdowns. And then he followed that up with being the wide receiver coach for Baltimore and one of the worst passing offenses that are in. He was also the passing game coordinator. One of the worst passing offenses in the NFL in that year in 2019. So it's just kind of like, it, it's just like it, he kind of had like an uphill climb from the get go. I agree. I totally feel like he was a scapegoat or he was this bridge quarterback. They hire like the old, um, you know, blackhead coach and it feels progressive and it feels like it's like the right thing to do, but they were kind of, I, I always imagined that they were going to move on at some point. The theory, the going theory at the time was that they wanted to hire Josh McCown and they were going to, fired David Coley after a year or two once he ultimately failed and then bring Josh McCown in to be the next head coach. And I think that all of that is relatively true. I don't think it's going to be Josh McCown, but like you said, they can't miss out on a group of head coaches that they have going right now. Like Brian Flores and Brian Dable and Byron Leftwich are all kind of really highly toted names. And they have to have known that David Coley only presented such a high ceiling for the Texans that even if he was a really good coach and I thought that he was going to do a good job culture wise, um, he just kind of, there was a cap to how good he could have, he could be. He's not going to be Mike Vabrell. He's not going to be one of the, any of the Harbaugh's. He's not going to be one of those guys where he's not an offensive or defensive play caller who always has a great um, coaching staff around him. It just kind of, there was always a cap there in, Unfortunately, I think he got the short end of the stick because one year and four wins is not exactly um, the best example of a coach that he could have been. But, you know, if they replace him with a guy like uh, Flores or Harbaugh or something like that, just to throw out names, I feel like it's almost going to be like the sacrificial lamb that, that feels more worth it to me. Right. And I think that's something that contributed to maybe us ousting him um, sooner rather than later is the fact that Davis Mills did look better than most people projected him to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not out here saying that he's, you know, the offensive rookie of the year or whatnot, <clears throat> but he definitely you did show more flashes. <laughs> Davis thrills, baby. Um, but um, he, he has shown more promise. So that kind of makes me feel like this rebuild isn't going to be a five to six year rebuild in terms of what the front office is aiming for. It's going <clears> to <throat> be more maybe or a two or a three year rebuild. Um, I mean, and and if you look at it, I mean, those are attainable. Um, the the only reason that that doesn't happen more often is because a lot of the times these franchises are bad franchises for a reason. It's because the 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 it's it goes above, you know, the front office. But I mean, if you think about it, um, the Buffalo Bills, for example, John McDermott got hired in what was it, 2019, 2017, and they were able to flip the the you know steer the ship correctly, um, in the right direction here pretty quickly. Uh, granted, Josh Allen was there, but I think that Josh Allen and Sean McDermott contributed both to that. Mm-hmm, um, so I think I think that Davis Mills doing decent is going to be is going to make the the Houston Texans um, coaching coaching um, position one that's not as undesirable. I'm not saying that we're you know the Denver Broncos. Um, so you know, in terms of having like talent all around, but uh, Davis Mills's progression has I think contributed to David Coley getting fired and getting out of there sooner rather than later because again it makes it more less less of a dumpster fire trash can fire yeah it accelerates the clock a lot and I think the beauty of this next couple of years for the Houston Texans is that they don't have to reach for a position they don't have to try to reach for a quarterback position or you know with a number three overall pick they don't have to pick Malik Willis Willis or Matt Carroll or anything like that they can kind of build their team over the next year and a half with really good players and then fill the quarterback position in later with a guy who might be more highly touted in, you know, the 2022 or 2023 draft type deal. 
And especially the interesting piece is what happened to Deshaun Watson, um, deciding on where he might go or what's how many trade picks or things that they acquire in a trade like that will definitely accelerate the clock even more. But you're absolutely right in saying that Davis Mills puts them in a great opportunity, not necessarily to create him and make him be the next franchise quarterback for them, but just to kind of put a pin in that position for right now and come back to that in the next two years. They, they can Absolutely. build an offensive line. They can strengthen their defense. They can add more receiving weapons outside and then go from there and, and let Davis Mills just kind of be a fantastic, great game manager with potential of upside. If at the end of the day he grows into being a franchise starting quarterback, he's the best pick they've ever made. And if at the end of the day he, is never, he never gets better than where he is right now, he still would have done a more than serviceable job for them. Right, and I think that the, the, his biggest asset is putting them in a, in a position where they don't have to be desperate because every, wor- like at least for me personally, every, like, all of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life have been in moments that I'm desperate. And so I feel like that ends up happening way too much in the NFL with front offices feeling desperate and feeling like they need to put <clears throat> wins now. So like, you know, um, you know, th- think of the franchises that are drafting a quarterback every three or four years mm-hmm. and it never gets anything. Those quarterbacks more than likely, um, I'm a firm believer that it's like 50, 50, the quarterback can be great. And a lot of them are, but not every quarterback is going to be an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady, you know, or, or a Josh Allen. Some quarterbacks are just going to be okay. And that is great um, because that gives the franchise an opportunity to not focus on that position and not like, you know, sink by that. And then what ends up happening is that you get an op, you get uh, it's the Tyrod Taylor effect that everyone has always talked about. He, um, the rookie that sits behind <laughs> right. him does well. And that's right. just because he's good enough to be there and serve as <clears> the <throat> team long enough for them to build around him. Um, you know, and, and then the team becomes more, much more appealing to prospective coaches or to free agents or whatever that might be right. um, just to the fans. It makes it more fun to watch. So I think that Davis Mills did great in terms of, I know we had this conversation earlier this year that I don't want them to necessarily go into this draft feeling desperate for a quarterback right. when it's not a great quarterback draft. Right. That was my biggest wish. I was like, I don't want them to take a quarterback this year, especially with but Davis, the number three overall pick. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and there's no surefire. There's no Trevor Lawrence. There's no, um, you know, uh, Peyton Manning, you know, there's no surefire, you know, Andrew Luck. So if if you can't be guaranteed with what you're going to get, then in my head, I think that we should, in this draft, in this 2022 draft, we should take the best player available approach um, because besides maybe our secondary, um, we don't have one spot that's like, we're not great anywhere, but we're not like bottom of the league in any one particular position mm-hmm. either. Um so maybe besides like running back where we have absolutely nobody because um, Mark Ingram got traded back to the Saints earlier this year. Philip Lindsay couldn't, you know, find a hole anywhere, you know. And so um, I think besides of our, our secondary and our running back positions, we should just take that first player available approach. Yeah, prob- probably. And I think that that's going to be the situation for a lot of teams here in the draft. Let's go back just a, a step and a half here and what should they be looking for in the next head coach? Who should that coach be who fits that mold? And then what should that coach do in free agency through the draft and custom trades in order to turn this team around? So I think that it's, it, it was wishful thinking, maybe when I said it a few months ago, that we would get Brian Flores. And that was just because we, I didn't even, nobody thought that Brian Flores would be let go. But I do think that he's that guy. I think that that's arguably in my opinion at least, the number one head coaching candidate out there right now. He's proven. He's on the younger side. He's um, driven. And I think that he's somebody who can have – he comes from the Bill Belichick coaching tree, and I think that what a lot of Bill Belichick coaches, the trap that they fall into is thinking that they are Bill Belichick when they arrive somewhere new. Mm-hmm. In the same way that, like, for example, if your mom starts dating a new guy, he can't come in here and start barking orders. You can't – like, to me, it's like the stepdad like approach. You, like, a coach can't have that. From right from the jump, you can't show up and immediately start trying to control everything, which is, I would also say that when the Houston Texans really started their downhill slide was when Bill O'Brien consolidated the GM role and traded DeAndre Hopkins for, you know, nothing, absolutely nothing. David Johnson is going to be gone after this year. So um, I think that Brian Flores has the the repertoire to... um, 
you know, uh, fill that role and to be that guy. And at the same time, I think that players like playing for him. I think that Deshaun Watson wanted to go there because of him more so than anything. Um, so whether or not if we hire him, if Deshaun Watson returns or not, I don't, I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but, um, I think that he could really bring out the best of our team. I think that right now the team needs stability more so than anything else. So I think that he can provide that. Right. David Coley probably doesn't get fired unless Brian Flores is either somewhat interested or obviously available, you know, in, in coming over. So. Right. And him and Nick Asterio, our GM have, um, from uh, according to the report, you know, a great relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I, again, I don't. I think that had we gone in with the plan of firing David Culley, we would have fired him on Black Monday, immediately after everyone got fired. Um, but because Brian Flores got fired, they got the news, kind of chewed it over, slept on it, and then finally said, "You know what? We need to move in this direction and try to get Brian Flores." Right. Which we've already interviewed him within 24 hours after we fired David Culley. Right. So to me, that means that him and Nick Casario were talking. Right. Had to have been. And then, so what, what type of moves do you think that there are anybody specifically, let's just start with the draft. Cause we know that they have the number three overall pick. Is there anyone specifically that you want to look at or an area of the field that you want them to look at? Thibodeau. Um, to me, Thibodeau is, is out of Oregon is the, the player that I would like to see in a Houston Texans um, uniform. Um, but I, I'm not necessarily married <clears throat> to it. Um, obviously with, with this, you know, draft, with Jacksonville already having their potential franchise quarterback, they're not going to be picking a quarterback. Mm -hmm. um, so we're in the top three. Um, there's no consensus. I feel like in previous drafts, you're like, okay, this player's going to go one, this player's going to go two, this player's going to go three. We don't know who we're going to get at three. But to me, if we get Thibodeau in that spot, that's who I would like to see. Um, I think that he can uh, have the potential of being what Jadavion Clowney was supposed to be and never was. Um, right. so he does feel very Jadavion Clowney to me. Yeah, uh, uh, very quick, a freak athlete. Right. And I think that, like, with, with Jadavion Clowney, I think that, like, what ended up happening was that he was more so just freak athlete than, um, you know, structured and put together. So I think that Thibodeau might be able to be what he was supposed to be. Right. Yeah, and I think, you know, going into this combine, he's going to pop off the charts. Um, he's going to play very well in the, the 40 and the broad jump and do all of his, his things very well doing some drills. Um, but I, at number three, it's not entirely impossible that either Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau falls over to you guys regarding whether Jacksonville decides to go with that defensive end. And we'll talk about Jacksonville in a little bit, but it feels more likely to me that um, they might, you know, go for an Evan Neal or something like that in the, in the first at the very top and let a guy drop to you. Right. You know? and, and my train of thought being that Aiden Hutchinson is more raw than Thibodeau. So I don't want to replay, you know, again, not to keep harping on Jadavion Clowney, but to me, he, he was just pure ceiling. You know, we drafted him off of what he could be because of one tackle that he made against, mm -hmm. you know. You know, uh, <laughs> I feel a ahead. little bit the opposite way because I feel like Hutchinson is higher floor and Kayvon Thibodeau is higher ceiling because of the athletic prowess. Um, it feels like J.J. Watt and Jadavion Clowney, literally, like, not just to put him in a box of skin color or anything like that. But it's more of along the lines of Aiden Hutchinson is like technique and he has some power, but Kayvon Thibodeau absolutely just jumps off the charts. I, I think that he's better than Jadavian Clowney is as far as like a technical standpoint, but you know. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to have to trust your judgment on this. Um, in, in all sincerity, I'm not the biggest college football, you know, watcher. Um, I always told myself that I was going to become a fan of whatever team I went to college at, and I didn't end up going to college. So, <laughs> no um, but, but, but I definitely do trust your judgment much more on that. So if you're telling me one way or the other, I'm going to trust your judgment. <laughs> but, um, uh, I, I think Thibodeau just looks like he would look great in a Houston Texans jersey. No, I, I agree. I agree with that. Um, any other cuts and trades or anything like that? We'd probably move on to the next topic, pick up the pace a little bit. Uh, nothing, nothing, um, over the top. I mean, Tyrod Taylor is an unrestricted free agent this year, but, uh, based off of Davis Mills's progression, I don't think that it's necessarily do or die. Yeah, he's done to his job. Him. Exactly. He's worth um, magic. Deshaun Watson, as you mentioned, obviously, um, is going to either have to go or play. I don't think that we can afford to have him on the roster for just another year. Mm -hmm. Um, just sitting there. And then Larry Mitunsel, um, hardly played at all this year. It doesn't look like he wants to play. It doesn't look like he's interested in the Houston Texans. And he accounts for $26 million of our cap next year. So if we could trade him, 
and uh, draft a replacement for him or anything along those lines, um, I would be very, very happy. Um, I'm not one. I'm a, I'm a casual fan who really likes the idea of players wanting to play for the team that they're on, feeling like a love for the jersey is what you say in Spanish. So like um, him not wanting to play and ve- seeming very disinterested uh, really rubbed me the wrong way. So if he, if he goes, I don't have an issue with that. Yeah, and I think it's an issue. It kind of felt like that was an issue from the Miami Dolphins a while back. Is that he just right. he seemed disinterested. So if he's that we're gonna be that kind of player, you can't pay him twenty six mil. But moving on, so we're gonna talk about my favorite team now, the New York Giants, who formally let go of uh, head coach Joe Judge in retirement. He put a gun to his head, told him to retire. Dave Gettleman. Uh, <laughs> so let, what went wrong is is almost pretty obvious. When you hire an offensive or defensive coordinator, you know what side of the ball they're gonna control and what side of the ball they're gonna dominate. Like Brian Flores, for example, would probably talk about him a lot throughout the, throughout this podcast. Is but he was a defensive guy and he handled the defensive side of the ball. Same with Vic Fangio; he's a defensive guy and he handled the defensive side of the ball. But you know the other, you know that that's what he's going to do. And as a special teams coordinator, you have to be a little bit more big picture than that. And a great example of this is Harbaugh, who hires fantastic coordinators. He knows how to maximize his personnel. He has a very distinct culture and he knows how to fit guys into that culture and he does a really good job of building people into that mold and i think joe judge did a lot of that really good coach speak stuff when he stood up in front of the mic he said the right things he talked about building a product to be proud of every play would have a history and life of his own and then he ran a qb sneak on 39 on the last game of the season where you have nothing to lose i think that that was the ultimate downfall you compare him to where that the lions played and they pulled out all the stops they're out here they're running like four trick plays on an entire series. They go and they upset the Green Bay Packers who had the number one seed at the time. And we just kind of like put our tail between our legs as a Giants fan and as a giant, giant, I guess. Uh, the Washington football team also really had nothing left to play for. So like, what's the point? Why, why, why aren't we running a play on 39? Other than the fact that your picture, your big picture is actually so small that we can't ride with you going into the next couple seasons. And then, of course, Dave Gellerman was forced to retire, or he re- retired, thankfully. We've kind of been really tired of waiting for him to actually make a move. He claimed that he could do build an offensive line through the trenches. He loved his what he called hog mollies, and he did a terrible job of grabbing anybody like that. Nate Solder, he paid Nate Solder to be the highest-paid left tackle in the league. He is one of the worst-graded tackles in the league we moved into right tackle he still couldn't guard the chair that i'm sitting in um we have will hernandez who who's supposed to be a highly toted young guy who's going to be our guard over the next 10 years he's not doing very good nick gates is all right he's kind of grown but he's torn his acl we we've overreached for matt pert shane lemieux like we've we've gone for guys who have definitely not panned out we've invested a lot in our offensive line Andrew Thomas came into his own this year, but even then you could have gone for Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs, or Mekhi Becton to be kind of more of a highly touted guy rather than Andrew Thomas, who was, like, I think, the first tackle taken off the board at the time. So, By the way, fun fact, I think I've said this a million times, my girlfriend is related to Tristan Wirfs, so maybe there's a little bit of bias there. Does, does she have the plug? <clears throat> you think uh, she can get us uh, any any? Yeah. Well, what I'm saying is that there is a actually a pretty decent chance that Tom Brady might be at my wedding. Not pretty decent, but it's definitely well, it's better than zero percent. That means you better pop the question much. then, bro, because I can't wait to meet Tom. <laughs> well, no, that means I gotta get yeah, I gotta get in uh, touch with cousin Worfs here for um, a second. Qu- question for you regarding what? the the Giants: What if <clears throat> if the if the Giants hypothetically hit a home run um, on this coaching hire? What do you see for them in the next two to three years? Do you think that it'll be a, 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 you know, more of a strenuous process or do you see them, you know, being in playoff contention, you know, consistently? I think I see them as people who as being able to win the division in the next two or three years if they hire a slam dunk guy. And I also think that because given the way that the roster is built, I think that they are in serious playoff contention. I'm not going to go and say that we're going to win a championship because I don't believe that we should go for a Deshaun Watson or a Russell Wilson. We're not going to have that, you know, veteran quarterback who has a high ceiling and is a, a Hall of Famer that can lead us into a deep playoff run. 
But I think that we can win the division. I think that with the way that the team is built, with even just Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony, whether or not Saquon is on the roster in two to three years, if we build the offensive line through the draft, if we, you know, keep a lot of the guys who are on defense and then nail some of like the third round picks for, you know, a secondary as we like to do, Xavier Howard or Xavier McKinney kind of becomes his own player even more so. I think that we have a really good chance of winning the division, uh, winning, you know, 10 plus games type deal and then going from there. But I don't think that that's going to be with a guy like um, Daniel Jones. I don't think that we should go for a Russell Wilson because I think that that's going to cost too much. And I just, it's kind of, if this roster stays together as is, they should be doing something special, you know, for the most part. But it's kind of, is this new GM going to strip us down to the studs? Or are we just going to kind of move some pieces around and keep it rolling? Uh, Yeah, I I really don't know. But I, I wonder... If it's not with Daniel Jones, then who would that person be? Is that does does that mean taking somebody in the draft, or does that mean just riding with him until you can get something, uh, you know, decent? Is that like a Jimmy G? Is it you know something along those lines? I I do think it's a Jimmy G. He's actually the person I have listed here as my player. Uh, acquire a Jimmy G. I don't think Jimmy G. Even if he has to sign another contract, he's not going to cost thirty right. million dollars. You're not going to have to strap them to like 33% of your salary cap or make your offense 50% of your salary cap. He's probably going to get a contract very similar to let's say Teddy Bridgewater to Ryan Tannehill type range where you can pay him uh, a nine or 19, $20 million a year and make that your guy for right now. And probably even less than that. You might be able to just get him for $15 million a year, but I think Jimmy G would be the perfect guy. And I think that going into this next off season, they should look to acquire Jimmy G. They should use him to create a quarterback battle between Daniel Jones. And this is kind of similar with Davis Mills. Either he lives up to his potential and he grows with the team and you have a franchise quarterback in him, which I don't necessarily believe, or you go and you get a guy like Jimmy G and he wins the quarterback battle and you just have a better QB that's under center now. It kind of just doesn't feel like a lose-lose. I think Jimmy G is a really good quarterback. I think that he is a winner. And I think that, you know, we just watched them play the Cowboys. I think that he can be as good as Dak Prescott on a given Sunday. You know, if they have to play against them again, Giants, Cowboys, I think he can be as good the second best or best quarterback in that division on any given Sunday. So with the way that everything's going right now in that division, it's winnable. It's so winnable. And I think that the Giants have to, like, get the veteran and really just if you just got Jimmy G this offseason, I'd be slightly disappointed, but I would have a lot more faith that we could win the division if we didn't get Jimmy no, G. Oh, it makes perfect that makes sense. sense. I absolutely agree that like I don't I don't subscribe <laughs> to the narrative that Jimmy G is uh, you know, burnt out or a bust or, you know, anything along those lines. I, I put him very much into like the Derek Carr category where like I don't really care for the Derek Carr slander. Yeah. Um I'm not again, I'm not I'm not saying that he is, you know, dynamic. You know, and he's not going to individually win you games, but he's not going to be, for the most part, a reason that you're losing the game. Um, so I think that Jimmy G is a great option for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think that we should look to get a guy like Brian Dable as an, like a get an offensive play caller for this team. I like the idea of Kellen Moore because I think that he has a little bit of Arthur Smith into him. I think that he is a guy who is a very creative play caller. I think he can maximize the talent that we have in um, Kadarius Tony and Saquon Barkley for the next two years. I just wonder if maybe he is at 33 a little too young. I know that Sean McVay was hired at 33 or 35 years old or something like that, or maybe even younger at 32. And you can't exactly discredit him, but Brian Dayball is, I think, a proven commodity in the league. He is very uh, highly uh, associated with maximizing Josh Allen's growth. And if we shoot for the veteran QB, I think that he can get as much juice out of that orange as possible. Or, you know, we help grow a younger guy if they do that through the draft, if they do that. And I would, and if we do that with Daniel Jones, I would be okay if we drafted a guy in the early second round with a high second round pick, but I'm not taking a first round pick. Yeah, and and you can, I mean, I think that fans in today's (laughs) world fail to realize that all the value that you can get in the later rounds, but people forget that Derek Carr, again, not to bring him up for the second time, um, but Derek Carr was a second round pick. 
So I think he was like 37, you know, or something <clears throat> along those lines. So you can mm-hmm. definitely get a serviceable quarterback. Uh, Davis Mills was a third round pick. So, um, so, you know, right. Yeah, exactly. And, and to back that up, like Derek Carr, Tom Brady, of course, is the famous story. Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott are all quarterbacks that we saw in the playoffs. And I might be forgetting some people. We all saw them in the playoffs, of course. We've seen Tom Brady do it over an entire career, being the greatest quarterback ever. But like the it's not impossible to think that you could find a high-end quarterback in the early second round if they were to fall. And Lamar Jackson was almost a second round quarterback if they didn't trade up and get him in the end of the first round type deal. So it, it's not impossible that something like that right. could happen. And I and I think that that would be great for you guys. Um and I and just to take it one step back in terms of hiring a younger coach like a Kellen Moore. I think that that's increasingly becoming the move. I don't necessarily know if it's the right thing, but um, mm-hmm. like you said, Sean McVay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it, it's and, and it's it's all about getting the upper edge. You know what I mean? And these young guys bring an energy that sometimes some <clears> of the older guys don't have, which I think is has been the biggest knock on like coaches out of Bill Belichick's coaching tree, which is again they they want to bark orders. And I mean, we just saw Bruce Arians smack you know one of his players you know during a playoff game last last um, last Sunday, so having a younger guy, I think that would kind of change the pace a little bit and uh, maybe point them in a different direction with a different attitude. Yeah. And you know, the problem, the problem with the younger guy thing is like Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay are two of the most respected two of the most uh, who have the brightest future type coaches in the league. And they're going to be able to coach their team at a high level for the next 30 years or so. Both of them. The thing is, is that they have both been in the league and Matt LaFleur, don't want to discredit him. They've all been in the league for like yeah. 20 years. Like, or or so. Like they've like they've been doing this for a long time. This is not a new thing. Sean McVay had been calling plays for a while. It's not like he was a one-year def- offensive coordinator. And I would shy away from one-year offensive coordinators. Like Kellen Moore is a three-year offensive coordinator, so it's not exactly impossible that he could be ready for a role like that. But before that, he was a quarterback. For the Dallas Cowboys, I mean, he was, he was, he has not been in the league for that long, as far as a coordinator goes. Same with like Brandon, Brandon Staley, like he has not been in the league for that long. So I think it's risky to hire a guy who like, who has not been a long term coordinator. Like Joe Judge never called a play ever before right. before this. So it's just David like <laughs> sometimes, some yeah, David Cole. Like sometimes they're just like they're digging in the bottom of the cookie jar when it's full. Like you don't have to go and, and get the crumbs right now and try to make a cookie out of it. Like go and just keep the guys that you have on top. And that's why I think Brian Dable and is such a, a good choice is because it's like, we know exactly what he's done. Cause we've seen the product over a decent course of a, a time. It's not like this is a one year fluke and now we want to capitalize on it. He is, I think proven and i think that he is young enough to where he's not gonna retire in the next five years but old enough to where he's able to lead a franchise and and be the head coach of yeah i I mean just just piggybacking off of that um (laughs) a name that i've seen floated around on some of like the lower end texas blog texans blogs and whatnot is uh, D'Amico ryan who's the uh defensive coordinator for the san francisco 49ers he's being floated around as like a potential Mm -hmm. you know hire um, and I agree with you 100%. There's no need to go to the bottom of the cookie jar when, you know, we have so many top tier, you know, defensive minded coaches who are available. When D'Amico right. Ryan was, he played for the Texans, you know, um, I'm pretty sure he sued him, sued him over like contract disputes as well. Um, this was before, you know, I was a, a, of, of high school age and paying attention to football. But um, he, I mean, he played for the Texans, but he's only been with San Francisco since 2017 and only one year as the coordinator. So I 100% get behind you on the, Give them some time. Yeah, it's just it's it's trying to be too smart, and, I, and I'm not necessarily a fan of it because when you hire the wrong coach, you set your franchise back three years. And we could have had two years of you know Brian Dayball if we had hired him instead of Joe Judge, and now you know he would be going into his third year with the system established, and we might be able to see what we actually look like now. Like we might be in a championship window in our third year, depending on how much growth actually happened. Now we're we're starting over from ground right. zero again. Which is just ridiculous to me. Uh, in free agency, I, I would love to see Odell Beckham Jr. come back. And this might be wishful thinking because he was one of the reasons why I stayed such a huge fan in New York after Victor Cruz retired. But 
he is going to be a free agent. I think that he's kind of matured a lot as an adult. He either is 30 or is going to be 30. And if we have a young quarterback, he can help him grow. Or if we have a veteran quarterback, he'll be a stable piece for everyone to rely on. Use him in space. I mean, I think his contribution to the Rams is undeniable right now as as far as what what he's done for them and, and how much room he's opened up, and especially after Robert yeah. Woods went down. And then same thing as if we talked about acquiring Jimmy G is that if we're, we, should, we should not reach for a Kenny Pickett. I've seen some mock drafts. Kenny Pickett goes at five where we're drafting or seven. We shouldn't reach for Matt Carroll. We shouldn't reach for Malik Willis. If we are going to draft a quarterback, I want to look at Sam Howell in the early second rounds if he happens to drop that far. But if I'm looking at pick five and seven, I'm picking two of the best offensive linemen. You know, Akim Ikuanu, Evan Neal are going to be two guys who I think we want to get off the board at left tackle. And then if we are able to get a solid left tackle, go for Tyler Lindebaum and get, you know, the the center and left tackle or right tackle of the next 10 years to go alongside with Andrew Thomas, who has grown a lot as a player this year. And then if one of our left tackles aren't available, get the best defensive guy off the board. Cause we're going to need a playmaker in Nicobe Dean, Kyle Hamilton, Hamilton or Thibodeau that that does happen to slip down that far or something like that. But I would just go, I would absolutely seriously, we have to invest in offensive line. And I think that we have three prospects, Ikeem Iquano, Tyler DeBaum and Evan Neal who are going to be guys who are almost can't miss, I would say. I like it. Yeah, I like it. Um, I like it a lot. Yeah. I got I hope. We can't try to be cute. I mean, look, imagine this. We could have had Quentin Nelson and Nick Chubb the year we drafted Saquon Barkley. Yeah, but Saquon was a stud that first. The, we we can't. Hit. He was. I'm, I would, and I'm not going to say I wasn't excited that we drafted him. I was super stoked that we got him. But we also believe that we're in a championship window. And think about what our team would look like today with Quentin Nelson and Nick Chubb, or even like Jonathan Taylor a couple of years later, like what the Chief, the Colts look like right now. Like it's just like there, we clearly, clearly, clearly have to go for Evan Neal or like a the one of the deeper positions like offensive line and not overstep for a position that is so shallow, mm-hmm. like the quarterbacks right now. But we're going to move on. We're going to talk about the Denver Broncos who let go of Vic Fangio. And I don't necessarily know if this is super surprising. I had Vic Fangio as like a guy who's going to get fired super early into this year. But um, the offense really never got going. Fangio might be like the best defensive coordinator in the league, but he never found a solid quarterback. And that was honestly his ultimate downfall. They went through uh, Paxton Lynch, Trevor Simeon, Teddy Bridgewater, you know, Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke type deal. Like they just, they never really found a guy that they could lean on. Um, so I think that honestly, that's just the ultimate downfall. He he nailed his side of the ball and their defense was always spectacular, but their offense with the pieces they have was underwhelming. Yeah. I saw reports saying that uh, the uh, Houston Texans might be interested in going after Teddy Bridgewater. And that kind of threw me off a little bit. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And Teddy Bridgewater is a great guy with a super low ceiling. And I think that, you know, it's, it's just, it's hard to like you, it's clearly, it's clear now that I think the Broncos have some of the better weapons in the league and you put Teddy Bridgewater in that. And it's not like he, they can elevate him and he definitely can't elevate them. So it's just like the ceiling is pretty low. And I think you would have to have the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid in order to make Teddy Bridgewater to be a Super Bowl level quarterback. And we saw that it was Alex Smith, and it just it's just not going to happen. You know, they have to go big fish hunting this offseason and go for a guy like Russell Wilson and go for a guy like Deshaun Watson and trade some picks and invest in a position with a solid veteran that we know is going to like be dominant or at least be super solid over the next six years or so. Yeah. I mean, you just look at their receiving core, the Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick. I mean Mm -hmm. that, yeah, that has the potential to be one of the top, if not the top, depending on the quarterback they have receiving core in the league. I I would put that right up there with Chris, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and 
Gronk, you know, in terms of right. just uh, like you like you said, sailing. And yeah, and Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, like they weapon wise, I think across the board might be better than the Chiefs. But obviously, Patrick Mahomes being the best quarterback in the league excels them all the way up to the top. And that's why, I mean, you go big fish hunting. You don't need to put, like, they, they didn't go for Justin Fields. They went for Patrick Sertain, who I think was a Pro Bowl-level defensive player of the year type candidate, for, or defensive rookie of the year type candidate. And he's going to be a solid corner for them for the next 10 years or so. But they opted for a corner instead of a quarterback, and they're going to regret that, I think, over the long run, unless they go for a guy. Like, they can't just take little pieces here and there and hope something like that falls into their lap. Like they can't hope that a Peyton Manning like falls in their lap, which he did. They have to go and be aggressive. Russell Wilson wants out, go and get him. Deshaun Watson wants out or he probably is going to be out. Go and get him. Like it, regardless of whether or not you have Brian Flores as your coach, go and get one of those guys that you're going to need to compete in this league. And I think that both of these guys should be excited with Eric Bieniemy, who I have as their who I have as the coach that should go there. He is young-ish. He is exciting. He is black, which I think is going to really help benefit. Like I think that was a big reason why Deshaun Watson wanted to go to Miami is because of Brian Flores in that aspect. And I think that it's just going to be, it's just going to be super easy for them to succeed with all the weapons that they have. Like we said with Russell Wilson, with Deshaun Watson, like they don't need to find another first round wide receiver to pair with everybody. Go and trade your first round picks. Those assets are worth it. Do they have this year? Um, nine, I want to say off the top of my head, but I mean, even then like it's, do I love that? Like the reason why I don't want the giants to trade for Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson is because I'm not trading pick five and seven because it's just too, it's too valuable. But if you pick trade pick nine this year and you trade whatever pick next year or whatever pick the year after that, if you have to trade three of them, like the picks the next two years with one of these guys is going to be pick 25 and up probably like those picks are worthless to you. You know, nobody needs picks. So then the question becomes is if they do go after, say, a Russell Wilson, uh, Mm -hmm. does that mean that you think that Pete Carroll is going to stay? Because that could be a potential update to this episode if Pete, you know, if Pete Carroll and Russ split up and Russ decides to stay in Seattle or they pick his side. Well, I. I would find it hard for Seattle to fire Pete Carroll necessarily, even though I, I feel like they should. I feel like that that you know, the era is over in Seattle and that they maybe they should look for something else. But I, if Russell Wilson leaves, I think that they might just rip it to the studs and try again. I, I don't really know exactly what yeah. they're going to do. Pete Carroll is like such an interesting person because he is definitely underachieved, I think, over the last three years. But he's such a strong personality. He's gotten to this franchise to the highest of heights that they, they could have ever asked for. So... How do you get rid of a guy right. like that? You know, but you know, if you go for Eric Bieniemy, I think that they could be the Kansas City Chiefs. They could get Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson, and then Jerry Judy, Noah Fant, and a solid running back, Javante Williams. Like they they would be number three plus, you know, on on a championship power rankings type deal if, if you added one of those guys. So go for one of that, and then add offensive line talent. You have plenty of cap space to go sign these free agents. Maybe another corner alongside Patrick Sertain. So you, you never really know. But we'll move on to the Las Vegas Raiders, who Alejandro is going to go ahead and take the lead on this, who formerly had John Gruden and Mike Mayock. So what went wrong outside of the obvious? Or, yeah, so obvious? keeping it in the division. I mean, um, what went wrong? I think that, you know, the guy's a sexist homophobe. You know, that's what went wrong and he got exposed. Um, so I think that that John Gruden for the last, um, you know, even before all of this, you know, drama came out, I think that he his seat was getting warmer um, in terms of not necessarily cracking that playoff drought, um, getting back into it and whatnot. Um, I think that we had really, really high hope, high hopes for him. Um, I remember when he got hired, um, 
and he started underachieving, there was a website called Is John Gruden Fired Yet? And you would click on it and it would say no. It was just one big page that said no and it would have a countdown for the next 10 years because they, they gave him, you know, an arm and a half, you know, to come be the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, um, Oakland Raiders at the time. So in terms of what they should mm-hmm. look in their uh, upcoming coach, I think that they should get somebody who's not a sexist homophobe. Um, so I think that that right. uh, has the potential to fit a lot of a lot of people. <clears throat> but uh, I kind of have a hot take here. Uh, I think that one, they could keep the the interim coach, uh, Rich um, Bisakia, um, Bistachia. I don't, I never know which one it is. Uh, I think that he would be a great fit. I think that under him they went seven and five. They made the playoffs. They gave Cincinnati a pretty decent run for their money. I feel like um, you know, minus that pick there at the end. But during that last drive, I really thought they were going to get it. I really thought they were going to get there. And then can you imagine mm-hmm. firing a guy? that went seven and five, eight and five at this point with a playoff win after all the drama that the Raiders got. Right. But um, right. if for the sake of argument, um, I go outside of house, you know, ch- take it some- in a new direction. I would not be shocked or upset if the Raiders rehired Dennis Allen. Um, Dennis Allen is the defensive coordinator for mm. the uh, New Orleans Saints. And uh, he was previously his first and only coaching gig, head coaching gig has been for the um, Raiders. Uh, when they were still in Oakland, obviously, but he coached them from 2012 to 2014. He got fired after I think uh 0 4 start in 2014 or something along those lines. Um, but in my head, uh, he is still on the younger side. He's uh 49, which isn't I mean, in all things considered, he's not younger. But coach wise, I think that there's still a lot of potential. I mean, relatively speaking, compared to you know some of these guys that are in their 60s, you know, that are being floated around. Um, I think that he could give a lot of energy and grit to a uh, Las Vegas team that that's kind of their identity. I mean, it was just this year when we saw uh, Tom Brady get into his face. You know what I mean? And I think that he took it relatively well. And that was on the week that he was filling in for mm-hmm. Sean Payton as the interim coach because Sean Payton had COVID. So I think that he handled it well. I think that he can provide. He's a defensive minded coach. And um, the, the, the Raiders defense uh, wasn't that bad. I mean, they had a a surprise, you know, rising star in Max Crosby, which I don't think that anybody expected to see coming. Um, if you would have told me that I would have seen Max Crosby on Sports Center highlights on Instagram before the season started, as much as I have, I would not have believed. Um, so um, <laughs> right. I think that Dennis Allen's my hot take. Uh, I don't know if you have anything to say about that, but that's kind of where I'm at. I think that that's it makes it fun. Well- it's definitely a name out of left field, but if you read the synopsis of Dennis Allen, it kind of feels like uh, he was given the short end of the stick type deal. They had traded away a lot of their draft picks right before that. They had salary count problems, which of course forced them to trade away a lot of their draft picks. And, you know, he definitely never really got to establish a system there, you know, to be, to create the team that he really wanted to create. So I don't think it'd be too shocking if he got hired and did well. I just think it's a name super out of left field for them. And it's not necessarily a bad take. I think that as long as he can establish a good culture, they would that would be the right hire. And, and I would look specifically for a culture guy if I were to hire a coach in Vegas right now. Understood. My train of thought is that Sean Payton, I mean, arguably some some people would say that he's one of the you know most <clears throat> liked coaches in terms of player personnel. Um, so I think that he, he's done mm-hmm. well under him and for Sean Payton to trust him that week that he was out and they won. I mean, that's the week that they, they, they beat Tampa Bay, uh, you know, and that defensive, you know, stalemate where they, it was just right. Exactly. And I was going to say back and forth, but not back and forth. Yeah. It's just, and then it's not their Their yeah. defense is solid. Like he, he's done. And then, uh, in, in, in loss of in Oakland mm-hmm. when he was there, um, that was such a messy quarterback situation where it, it would make, you know, the worst quarterback mm. situations this year look like a walk in the park. Uh, you know, they had Terrell Pryor, who was an expansion draft um, p- pick, I'm pretty sure. It was, it was Al Davis's last pick before, um, you know, he decided to step away and whatnot. Uh, they had undrafted rookie uh, Matt McGloin, and they were going back and forth on them. And so that whole year was, mm. the two years that he was there were such a mess. You know what I mean? So. I think that he deserves another shot, and that's my hot take, and I'm sticking with it. I'm not, I don't think he's going to get hired. Um, if, no. if I was the GM, <laughs> yeah. I don't think that I, I think would. So um, necessarily, he wouldn't be my first choice, 
But with that being said, he's definitely worth consideration. And I also think that uh, this is a pick that not everyone's making. You know, I didn't want to keep going with the state. I didn't want to say beef low for the fourth time. <laughs> right. Beef low is the obvious choice for every single team that we've Absolutely. talked about so far. I mean, I think if I were him, I would rightfully so take an interview for every team except for the Miami Dolphins, of course, because they just let him go. But I would, I would not be surprised if Brian Flores is on the top of everyone's list, which, by the way, Apparently the New York Giants are at the top of his list. Just to you know, to get you sweating a little bit about. I, I read that. I just, <clears throat> where B- I just didn't want to send it to you because I didn't want to get your hopes up. And I did it. Oh, didn't. trust me, Giants news pops up in my Google all the time. No, no way a B flow article is getting well, past me. Fingers crossed. It, it it goes. If it doesn't go my way, I hope it goes your way. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and vice. And but vice in terms versa. of the Las Vegas Raiders, um, they uh. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, their uh, defense has been top ten in yards, points, and takeaways the last two years. Um, and never. Oh no! Excuse me. This is uh, uh, Allen's. He his defense the last has been top ten in points, takeaways, and uh, yards in the last two years, and never below uh, the bottom half since he's been the d- defensive coordinator in New Orleans. So I don't think that he would be necessarily that bad of a pick. But the um. Raiders and I have the 22nd pick this year. Um, I'm not too uh, sure of what the defensive players right around that pick would be, but I know that they would want to keep going with the defense. In my head, I would keep building on it. Um, so their linebacking core probably needs a little bit of help. So I'd probably go that route rather than, you know, mm-hmm. I know that the, everyone keeps saying that this, this draft is deep for uh, ed- edges and, um, you know, rushers and whatnot, but I would probably go with a linebacker. Um, I've checked a few different uh, mock draft websites and they have Nicobe Dean out of Georgia going um, to Las Vegas on the 22nd pick. And um, mm-hmm. just based off of everything I've been able to read that, that makes a lot of sense. So, and, and depending on, Nicobe yeah, Dean and depending on who they end up hiring as their coach, it could be that shiny new toy. You know what I mean? Um, if they go with a defensive minded coach. And I agree. I think Micah Parsons has definitely changed what the linebacker position might be used for you might have more of those edge-to-edge defenders kind of be used in a hybrid role like Micah Parsons did so I'd actually be shocked if N'Kobe Dean fell all the way down to 22 but if they were able to snag him I, I agree with you defense is definitely the way to go if not a wide receiver one but um culture is going to be the biggest thing for me I think a Harbaugh is, is going to be a, a guy that you might want to look out for if you were to go to the Raiders they're not going to be a team that you just strip them down to the studs and uh move on yeah you know type deal i think that they might they obviously made the playoffs they might be building on something there but that's going to do it for this week's episode we are next time we're going to do part two where we talk about the minnesota vikings the jacksonville jaguars the chicago bears and the miami dolphins uh, if you liked everything you heard go ahead and check out our instagram at you thought sport and subscribe to us on apple Podcasts. again nothing less than a five-star review otherwise i will delete it thank you guys we appreciate yeah. it